Hey everybody, and welcome to Animates. I'm Paige, and I'm Chris. Uh, Chris, you were telling me this morning <laughs> that you are not going to be playing intro music this time. Uh, why is that? Well, so the intro music for all three seasons is exactly the same. But aside, so aside from that, which by the way, nowadays anime sometimes go only thirteen episodes before changing mm -hmm. their intro music and Sailor yeah. Moon goes for like they're like fuck it 45 hundreds epi of episodes hundreds <laughs> yeah just same intro music but um Japan would never <laughs> Japan would never at least they changed the animations in the third season but um I was going to play the Japanese version but Japanese IP law is extremely litigious. So I, oh, really? Well, yeah, so this is not a disparagement per se, other than I really dislike a lot of copyright law. Um, but, yeah, Japanese companies are very aggressive when it comes to enforcing IP. Um, you see a lot of it come out of the entertainment industry. Like, fucking Nintendo is really bad about it. Um any sort of fan project that has touched on their IP has always been at risk of getting a really intense cease and desist letter. So I figured that would not be something I will do for now. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not be sued by Toy Animation. Yes. Oh, Toy Animation is very intense about it, too. Yeah, so let's not get sued. <laughs> the fact that the fact that things like DBZ abridged exist is amazing to me still to this day. Um, so for today, I just had some good food, so I figured it would be a good opportunity to talk about some food in the show. Aside from the fact that all food is donuts, um, <laughs> or we muffins occasionally. Okay. Or cookies. Cookies, too. Um, <laughs> we talked about plot and characters last week way more. So this week, I think it's worth exploring some different sort of thematic or content-related things that show up in the show. And one that is very, very noticeable, especially in retrospect, um, with the rise of cultures of trying to eat better but not like there's the diet craze that we then all looked back and we're like wow that's really stupid people should like food but also should eat well um they all really rag on each other for eating food like yeah a lot. like a every ton. episode um they're like, oh, I really like this thing, but oh, you're going to get fat. You're never going to get a boyfriend. Um, and that is not a translation issue, by the way. That is. In fact, in one of the season one episodes where they do this, they actually censor it to be less fat shaming than the Japanese, <laughs> Japanese one. And the little blurbs that they put at the end of, of the, you know, the Sailor Moon says that the deke version added they do mm -hmm. one or two things about food and they're like you know <clears throat> just eat you know get exercise eat healthy but it's okay to like food and i'm like good on you sure yes but but, <laughs> but <laughs> overall i give the show a d minus <laughs> for, for food relationship uh, in a form of media. And it's really all targeted at Usagi. So, sorry, Serena. It's all targeted at Serena. Oh, yeah. They're constantly like, she really likes food. And everyone's constantly like giving her shit for her eating habits. Like, like constant, including like Luna and stuff. You have to assume that. Okay, so she's also, like, they're all thin. They're all super-duper thin. Incredibly thin. So in my head, I'm like, wow, are they fucking bulimic? Because 
that's what they make it seem like. They make it seem like they eat so much that they like, how are they also still thin? And I'm like, wow, this is, this is like eating disorder fuel, just waiting, waiting to be ignited. And that's the thing is like rates of disorder, like rates of anorexia specifically, I know in the United States were incredibly high during the 80s and 90s, like higher than they are now. They were at like a all-time high in the 80s and 90s. I don't know about Japan, but in the U.S. they were. Yes, I actually know very little about um, Japanese eating disorder rates. I think they're pretty low. I think like... If I remember correctly, a lot of that is centered in Western countries, particularly like countries of abundance. So I'll, I'll have to actually do some research on that. That's an interesting question. Um, I'm sure it existed. No doubt. No doubt. And, and like this kind of stuff being shown to young girls in Japan, like is like these are teenage fucking girls that are supposed to be reading this manga. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think. Is this a deviation that was made from the manga? I don't like, know. I, I, don't, I don't know if that stuff, like, because, like, yeah, sure, it was written by a woman, but just because something is written by a woman doesn't mean it's going to, like, not have, like, internalized misogyny and, like, bad messages about your body in it, you know? Because lots of stuff that's written by women does have those messages in it. So it was I have like, no idea. It was sort of less about, like, if it was in the original, it would be like that, like, a woman communicating these messages to girls. Whereas if it wasn't, it would be an interesting case where it would be men communicating some sort of cultural expectation or ideal to girls. Just uh-huh. like the, the dynamic there is interesting and different depending on where it came from. So. Sure. But I think that there's really... Like, they make, they go on a diet in an episode. And bear in mind, we didn't watch the filler, but food crap comes up in the filler, too. Like, numerous times. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that, as a little boy, I never really picked up on. (laughs) Um, And I mean, eventually, I was kind of like a pudgy kid before uh, puberty hit. As happens to so many children. Um, sure. But I never really picked up those messages, to be honest. I think... I, I think girls probably would have subtly gotten hints about it. So that's like a negative thing. We're going we're gonna to put that in the negative column of Sailor Moon. Yeah, definitely. For well, sure. And I mean... It's mostly the women of the show bagging on other women. Yeah, like, there's a lot of, like, I kind of hate this term, but, like, there's a lot of girl hate, honestly, in the show. Like, there's a lot of, like, friendship and, like, friendship being the thing that gets them through and all that, but there's, like, a lot of, they bag on each other a lot. There are, um, (laughs) there's some interesting people, not interesting people, there's, there's an interesting, um, a lot of people would just say, well, that's just sort of um, not necessarily a typical uh, like female competition occurring amongst these people. Not like, sure. and, and this is something where um, like boys and girls both compete with each other. They just do it differently sort of deal. Like that would sort of be the perspective. It's like usually... The idea goes is that boys are typically taught and enact competition in the forms of like physical contests or dominance and like female groups typically engage in a lot of interpersonal competition through um, through social as opposed to physical means. And this would just sort of be an example of that would sort of be the argument. Hmm. Okay. I mean, sure, I guess. <laughs> you know, like, I suppose. Well, um, I'm specifically thinking of, like, Ray and Serena 
like their conflict with each other, how they don't get along super well. Well, and that's that's always been a flashpoint too with them because it's it's the worst with them, and they actually censor how <laughs> abusive their relationship is in England. They take out a lot of hitting in the. Oh, really? The, yes. Does- they hit each Ray, other a yes, lot. They hit each other way. Well, Ray, it's Ray hitting Serena, for the most part. Oh my gosh. Um, well, and and some of the insults, but they also take out some of the warmest moments between them too. Oh, okay. So it's like they they truncate it to the middle, in, instead of showing how it's like really good and really bad. Okay, I see. But you're absolutely right. These two, these two, like these two hate on each other so much. And there's never really a good reason for Ray to dislike Serena as much as she does. Yeah. They just like, don't get along like from the beginning. It's not even like it starts after, you know, Serena steals Ray's boyfriend, which she does. Okay, well, that, yeah, that's sort of, that's not great. It's not. It's not great. <laughs> but, um, and I mean, Ray is usually the one, the first to talk about Serena being fat. Yeah, absolutely. She's like, well, she's the first, she like picks, she kind of picks at all of Serena's flaws all the time. And like, something that I don't really understand in the show is that like, Ray picks at Serena's flaws all the time. And nobody ever says anything to her about it. In fact, not only do they not, like, say anything and not criticize her for it, they join in a lot of the time. Like, people are really hard on Serena when she is there and when she's not there all the time. Yeah, we sort of, we hit on this last time as a sort of plot point, but in terms of talking about... um, being a sort of role model for interpersonal relationships, the show actually does a poor job a lot of the time. Like, and it's, it's very inconsistent. So when it matters, when they're fighting these evil people, everything is great. And for the most part, they're less difficult on Serena because she actually pulls her weight. Um, she's got a higher body count than they do. So fuck them. Yeah, like basically they're just constantly like, even as she grows and becomes like a better person, they're still just constantly like, Serena's dumb, Serena's unreliable, Serena, you know, like, eats too much or whatever. And it's like, you get to a certain point, it's like, hey, you know, like, why don't you lay off? Like, she's grown a lot, (laughs) you know, like, give her, cut her a little bit of slack. She is arguably the only person who really grows or changes. Like, Amy becomes more confident. But at least from what we see in the show, Serena's the one to change and get better. Yeah, definitely. Like, Ray's, like, basically exactly the same. Lita and Mina are both basically exactly the same. Yeah. Like, so, so she, like, she's our only example of interpersonal growth. Like, Darian doesn't change. Luna and Artemis don't change. I guess Rini does get less cry. (laughs) Um, And she faces her problems and, and she accepts her role in stuff happening. So, like, she, like, she shows some growth. Yeah. But, but. This is not a good way to exist in a friendship. And and they they just wash over it because they work together to fight evil. But it's like when they're normal people, they're they're none of them are they're nice to each other except for Serena. Yeah, and like I don't understand it's like and like she is a really loving person. She's not normally, like, mean to them, you know? Like, so why is it, like, acceptable? Like, why is it okay for everyone to be mean to her, you know? Like, a part of me wonders if some of 
that is lost in translation um, in the sense that she she eats a lot, she's lazy, and she she's irresponsible. I think that those are generally, like if people were to ask to rate those traits for positivity, I think most cultures would probably rate those lower. But mm-hmm. I think in Japan, that would be really much worse rating wise. So perhaps part of it is that, you know, people would be saying, wow, that is really bad of Serena. Like that is really bad of her. She kind of needs to get her shit together. She deserves to, she deserves to be prodded like that because those traits are so bad. Um, sure, like maybe it's seen like, like sort of like we see the traits, uh, the those traits as like, well, she's a like she's a teenage girl, you know, like of course she's kind of irresponsible and lazy and stuff like that. That's what teenagers are like, but like Japanese culture is different than American culture, you know. It's also, I suppose it's worth noting that they are more collectivistic than we are. So when we look at Serena, we're sort of subconsciously looking at her as a person, not not that's the wrong way to put it as an individual. And we're thinking about her and her relationships to the others is kind of secondary. Whereas in a more collectivist culture, we're not really looking at Serena. We're looking at her as she relates to the group as sort of her primary facet. And in Uh that view, not sort of pulling your own weight or even just perceptions of that would be much more, harshly reviewed sure like she's not like you know her primary like function or whatever is not as an individual but as like a member of a society yes and because she is being perceived as not being responsible and pulling her weight she is not a threat to sort of herself but to the group sure okay so I think like, yeah. there like there are noticeable psychological differences between collectivist versus individualist cultures. And I mean it's on a spectrum. That's not this or that. But Japan leans more collectivist. So as mm-hmm. as is typical of, of East Asian countries. So yeah. this that's an interesting difference that I think would escape children completely and utterly. Uh, but as adults Oh absolutely. It's interesting to come back and contextualize their fighting and how we see it versus how somebody would have seen it, particularly in the 90s, like in Japan in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I will say, though, like the sort of morality of the show, like more like teaching moral lessons, that's something that like. American television was really focused on, particularly in the 90s, that, like, your television program for children, like, needed to teach them moral lessons, and I think that a fair amount of the editing that went on with the Deke version was uh, focused on teaching moral lessons, Uh, and, like, you can really explicitly see it by the weird, like, shoehorned in, like, sailor says segments that they had at the end. Do you, do you think that that difference, like, cause that, that wasn't really, I think the role that manga or anime played in, mm-hmm. in Japan. Do you think that grows out of our sort of religious history? Like the control that sort of Puritan morals have over media or have yes. over media Yes, absolutely. Uh, And I think that a lot of that, there was a major, it sort of coincides with the neoliberal turn. There was a major resurgence of socially conservative values in the 80s and 90s as um, uh, the Christian right sort of rose to prom like became a political force and rose to prominence and began to have a lot more of an effect on 
society as a whole. And so there was a big conservative turn in the 80s and 90s uh, because they, certain restrictions had been loosening in the 60s and 70s. And they sort of came back in in the 80s and 90s. And there's this idea that, like, okay, all of our children's program needs to be teaching them moral lessons, you know? And I think it definitely has to do with a conservative Protestant force. Which did not exist in Japan. So, so there no. you go. Um, no, actually, I think it's really interesting how in um, season three specifically, in the Jap- like a more direct translation from Japanese would have things in that season being called like the Holy Grail and the Messiah of Silence. Whereas in the dub, they're called the Purity Chalice and the Sovereign of Silence because Christianity is such a minority religion in Japan. It's kind of thought of as like a woo sort of thing. And it's used a lot for just being like, yeah, this symbolism is suitably like sort of like spooky and, you know, woo and fun. So put that in there. But they kind of got rid of that in the dub. Purity Chalice. Mm-hmm. That's just a big ass metaphor for virginity. Just like yes. twice. Oh gosh! But it was not called that, and it was called the Holy Grail. You know, they changed it. Yeah, I mean, it's just like um, if if an artifact is suitably for like I don't foreign, not in like the country sense, but foreign as like it is mysterious or unknown to you. Sure. Just like the fucking like when I was watching. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. I'd never heard mm-hmm. of the fucking Ark before, even though yeah. it's it's well known in the Western canon. And I was like, "Whoa, what is that mystical artifact?" <laughs> so I think it's kind of like that. It's like a lot of Japanese people know of Christianity, but not it's sort of like big deal. So when they hear it, it's like, "Oh, the Holy Grail." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, like, Ava has so much Christian symbolism in it, because it's like, I don't know, it just, like, looks cool, and it's kind of, like, woo and impressive and seems mystical, well, right? Yeah, and and they specifically state that there is no underlying meaning to the Christian and uh, Kabbalic symb- symbology. It was just cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and it's totally the same thing in Sailor Moon. And I just think it's interesting that they like removed it. Even that it would be like very rec- it would be much more recognizable to an American audience. And they're like, no, we're not going to call it the Holy Grail. We're not going to, for the love of God, we're not going to call a villain a Messiah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anno was Anno was very much more in your face about the symbology in Ava. But I love that Sailor Moon, like it, there's a lot of like, like in the, the beginning enemy is like planting seeds and in things. And just like, there's just like a bunch of very interesting um, stuff happening in the third season, which is Mm -hmm. kind of a shame because that's where we officially stopped. Yeah. It's but, good though. I mean, watch it. No, know? no, and I and I have been, and I'm getting <laughs> some of that lesbian cousin love. Ah, uh, delicious. Uh, so food, religious symbolism, differences between cultures. We've got a lot going on in the relationships between our characters. We spoke yes. about censorship. Um, I think one interesting aspect of this is I I kind of always forget that these are 14-year-old girls. Yes, absolutely. And that's such, like, they they bring it up, and every time they bring it up, I'm like, I don't believe you. Well, (laughs) it's partially because this show is 80% legs. (laughs) Well, and I, I, to me, like, physically, yeah, but also it's like what they're doing. Like, it's very, I don't know, this is, like, a very weird expectation to set for a 14-year-old girl. Yeah, Jesus Christ, I was a fucking wreck when I was 14. (laughs) Like, I'm like, wow, they are literally dying and fighting evil. And they're just, they're completely (laughs) well-adjusted. 
Like there's no Yeah, I know. Like they don't struggle with it. Like in in so in modern like American shows where there's supernatural teens like for example like for example Teen Wolf um there's a lot of focus in the plot about how this is affecting them emotionally the trauma that this is putting on these children to have to go through this but like rising to the occasion or feeling that they have to be responsible for protecting people because supernatural stuff is going on around them that does not really seem to be an issue in sailor moon they're all just kind of fine they all just kind of deal with the fact that they're magical girls pretty rapidly and accept it and they never get like freaked out or anything and and that by the way the sailor scouts son sailor moon all died once Oh my god, did they? So that was something that was censored out of the two-parter Queen Barrel fight episode. No, when they say, oh, we're holding them in the Negaverse. No, those fucking those fucking girls got killed on screen. Oh wow. And they took it off. Wow, geez. I didn't realize that. No. Yeah, because it's like it was a two-parter and they took it down to like one part, and so it was hard to even know what was going on. They edited it so much that it was hard to even know what was happening. So I definitely did not realize that they like were killed. Yeah, that's why that's why they uh, they, they they are ghosts and they come help Sailor Moon fight Queen Beryl. Oh wow, okay. So yeah, they 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 all died and Sailor Moon resurrected them. Jesus. I mean literally. That's intense. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so they they um they definitely are hand there there's no central aspect of trauma and even now like I think American media is a little bit more like I uh like this is such a blanket statement and I I I don't even want to make it. Um I don't know. Anime and manga have come a long way in exploring sort of... And I mean, some things have always kind of explored emotional things and trauma. And I think a lot of animation in the United States now sort of explores trauma and emotion as their main thesis. I mean, Stephen fucking Universe is a great example of that. The animation renaissance is, like, 90% trauma. (laughs) Like, it's 90% about, like, bad things happening to kids and kids dealing with it, you know? So this this was just, like, a very weird transition to just, like, wow, really bad things are happening, but these people are totally fine. And what do you think that affects... Do you, like, I think that's why shows like Madoka Magica had to come along. Because they were like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? No. Like, God, there's so many things I could spoil right now just to make my point, And I won't. For you. For you, Thank Paige. You. Thank but you for I, not spoiling Madoka Magic. <laughs> I, will, I will give you six months. Okay. Okay. Um, Within six months, I will watch it. If only because I, it's so good. But the shows like that that come along and they're just like, this formula is boring and also unrealistic. So let's let's have some fun. If, let's fuck with the formula. Yeah, if fun. Let's take it, pick trauma. it up, we'll break it, put it back together like Picasso style. Yeah, I, I. It was Sailor Moon was also airing at a time in the United States where like Pokemon was on TV, and, sure. and Pokemon is sort of a, a similar version of sanitized. Where you've got literal slave animal fights. Hmm. And, like, people get hurt. But everybody just has to go to the Poké Center and they're okay and nobody dies. It's, like, one of the only times they mention death is with Charizard. Or, or sorry, Charmander. Um, but I, just like a lot of media from the time, never touched trauma at all. And I wonder how that affected people. Good or bad. Yeah. But let's put that aside of Gargoyles where they have a shooting episode where like, um, God, I've forgotten her name. The cop, the main girl from Gargoyles. Lisa Maza. Maza. 
she gets uh she gets shot and like has to be in the hospital and it's touch and go you know so it's like not all shows that were on at the same time were sort of avoiding the idea of real world consequences in the same way well and, and batman the animated series was airing in the same time frame so i i the point was not sort of all media just a lot Sure. And, no, yeah, absolutely. And and if you assume that different groups of people are watching those shows, like Sailor Moon was definitely meant to appeal to young girls as opposed to young boys. Um, mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. For them, it didn't work. Um, but I think boys media dealt with trauma, not directly but as a consequence that they contain more violence maybe yeah that makes sense what do you mean by it didn't work with appealing to young girls do you feel that like young girls did not watch it or Um, just that it appealed to boys more than they thought it would i i that that was sort of more just a dig at myself because i was like oh i'm really into it so like well you're also like a big mo so you don't count (laughs) wow Wow. Way to delegitimize my very intimate relationship with Sailor Moon. <laughs> but yeah, that, that exploration is very interesting to me. Um, I, I'm trying to think of another sort of theme that comes up in Sailor Moon that isn't family incest related. God, there's... A fair amount of incest stuff in it. And some of that is the translation's fault. Yeah. The cousin stuff. Oh, yeah, the cousin stuff is absolutely the translation's fault. It's They tried to censor it. And like we said last time, we none of us do that with our cousins. Saying their cousins doesn't make it not gay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't hold hands with my cousin and gaze longingly into her eyes. Oh, this would be a good point for me to add an addendum to the previous episode. When we had talked about how much Sailor Moon doesn't make sense, it still doesn't. But um, Sailor, they they are able to go into the future and exist in the future because Sailor Moon freezes over the planet sometime in the 21st century and they all sleep for a thousand years. Why? Why does she do that? (laughs) Because there is some ecological disaster that looks like a meteor storm that basically fucks up the planet. And so Neo Queen Serenity is actually Serena. Okay. Um... So So you heard it here first, folks. Sailor Moon's going to save us from global warming. (laughs) That's when I, when I, when they said that, I'm like, wow, that's a bit on the nose. Um, so basically they, they saved the planet by putting the entire planet into hibernation. Jeez. It still, it still doesn't make any fucking sense, but at the very least there's a consistent it's, it makes sense by, like, comic book anime logic, you know? Like, it, at least it explains the fact that, no, Neo-Queen Serenity and uh, the King of Earth are not different reincarnations. They are the same people. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I just... Yeah, do you want to talk about, like, relationships and these girls' relationships to boys and the way oh, that adults yeah. in their life... We we talked so much about the girls v. the girls that we totally forgot that the next most frequent thing that they shit on each other about is not having a boyfriend or not attaining a boyfriend or not being able to attain a boyfriend. Yeah. And it's not just the girls that say this to each other. Like, Luna says this to them. Adults say these things to them. Like, oh, you can't be lazy or you'll never find a boy. That's like Amy's favorite insult. It's like, if you don't do well in school, you'll never find a boyfriend. Which is not something that I heard as a child in the United States. No, but I had never, like, that particular insult, I feel like, is especially localized to Japan. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And I think it like reflects um, a similar like Japanese women for the last few decades have been facing a similar thing that American women have been facing uh, where it's like they're supposed to like they're being pushed to like have it all. Like for decades, it was expected, okay, so you're a Japanese woman and you're going to, like, do this super intense schooling system that we have and go to cram school and all that and go to university and work really hard and have a career and work really hard. But also, you need to find a man and get married. And once you're married, you're going to stop doing all that stuff that you worked really hard on and then work really, really hard at being a housewife and a mom. Um, you're going to like stay up late with your kids and make them snacks while they study for cram school and stuff like that. And that's, that ideal is actually really showcased in Serena's mom. And so I think that a lot of this, like you have to like do good in school or you'll never find a boyfriend thing is, is connected to something that mirrors what, what women deal with in the United States, but is it's distinct. It has like a local flavor, you know? It's, and I mean, it, it, it has got to be even worse there because their their school culture alone is way more intense. It's super intense. So the pressure to have it all, I can imagine, is just even more palpable there than it is here. And that's kind of saying something, given yeah. the kind of shit that I hear from people here. It's like... I mean, mix that with sort of the millennial, we're all going to die thing. Um, you know, and it's very stressful. We're all very stressed. Um, we are all very stressed. So I think that uh, it's even worse. Like, it, it goes from sort of the girls sniping at the girls to really problematic when it's like men saying it to them. Like, that's yeah. when it straight up kind of becomes harassment. Like, legitimate harassment. It's like, fucking meatball head. Like, if you don't stop picking out, nobody's gonna love you. You're like, what the fuck? Like, Does if, Darian say that to Serena at one point before they know who each other are? I think so, yes. Jesus Christ. Like, he doesn't say, he obviously doesn't say it in the same way that I said it. But he, like, Andrew, to his credit, never says any. Andrew is the only person to never insult Serena. Good guy, Andrew. She should be with Andrew. And say, well, Jeez. he's too old for her, too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in the standard of the show, yes, that would be the only acceptable, unacceptable target. Yeah, why can't she should date Melvin? He's into her and he's an appropriate age. Melvin and he's and, nice to her. Melvin and Molly are an item. Yeah, they didn't like they don't ever explicitly say that, but like it's hinted at, and I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's nice. Let's see. So it, it is really bad when 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 uh boys like Darian sort of say it to them. But mm -hmm. Ray is I think next to Serena, Ray is the most concerned with finding a boyfriend. And you see the show, you see the show, like, show, like, Ray goes on a fucking couples cruise alone. Oh my god, does she? Yes. It, I think it's a filler episode. So she goes, wow. like, Serena is there too. So they go on a couples cruise together as a couple, but they're both single. Into and it. so um, Ray sits down at a table and she's like, well, if I'm not going to find a boyfriend here, I'm just going to pig out. And I'm like, okay. Let's so, emotionally eat. Yes, we've got we've got great relationships between men and food. And mm -hmm. by great, I mean terrible. Uh, I I the show is just it never does anything to suggest that that isn't the way that people should be talking about finding a relationship. Like it's all of these girls' main focus is either school or boyfriends. Yeah, and it's like it's like no adults are ever saying to them, like, this isn't the most important thing. They're actually saying the opposite, basically. And also, the I would say the dub also endorses this, because that's a thing that they never tried to, like... Sometimes in the Sailor So segments, they were like, you know this thing that we showed today in the episode? Not that great. They never did that. They never were like, 
boys aren't the most important thing. Never, not once. Well, and maybe it's because if they tried to cut it out, they would have had to have cut half the show. Yeah, there wouldn't be a show anymore. <laughs> I think that there there's a way that they could have done it. And, and I think nowadays, a lot of times, if, if a girl came to me and she was worried about this, we'd say stuff like, um, if you'll find somebody when it's the right thing. Right. You don't need to, this is not, this does not need to be your main focus. Right. If you're talking to a person who's of dating age, like an adult, you would be like, well, you know, just like put yourself out there, but don't hinge your happiness on it or your self-worth on it. It's like be active, but not wrapped up in the pursuit of this. Yeah. And if they were teenage girls, we would often say like, well, you know what? You're a teenager and you have so many years like ahead of you in life to date and anyone that you date right now is not going to be the person that you're with forever anyway so just like focus on doing other things you enjoy you know uh but that's not what's being said in the show at no all. it is like you need to find a person before you are 18 <laughs> um not not great so again as we sort of explore the themes being communicated here, you know, that's just not very good. It's not very good. What else is there? There's really not much we can say about economics because this show is so small scale. Yeah. It's like super focused on things that like, it's either fantasy where everyone's just like sort of evil for the sake of being evil and they never, it's inherent and they never address motivations or it's like just these girls, like daily 14 year old girl lives going to school. So it stays so far away from like anything else that you can't like that it's missing politics or economics in any way. The one place where I would say that there is something is in relation to uh, Diamond and Sapphire's motivations and their childhood, sort of at the bit at the end of the the Negamoon family, which in Japan is the Black Moon arc. They censored Black Moon because they were worried I- that it would be like black versus white and would be racist. Holy shit! Really? Is that why? Yes. Wow. I had no idea that that was why they changed it to Negamoon. Wow. Because apparently you can't say the color (laughs) black or the color white without it being racist. Good Lord. (laughs) Like, by their logic, a yin-yang symbol would be racist. It's inherently racist. Because it divides black and white. So... Good lord. Deke were Love to leave in America. Deke were like, yo, we're not racist. I have black friends. Like, let's like I gotta be really careful. Um so yeah. Uh with them, you find out that the 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 I'm gonna say Negamoon family, just because that's how it's addressed in the dub. Um Notice that they still connotated black with negative. Yeah. So who's the racist one now, Deke? <laughs> yeah, implicit the bias. The racism was inside you all along. <laughs> implicit bias, bitches. You can't escape it because it's subconscious. Um, uh, so we've got this family centers around like this prince and his brother and they got shunned from the earth for reasons that are very vague, but it boils down to this moon entered orbit of the solar system. And these people were living on Pluto. Uh, we never know how they got close to this moon, but yeah, unclear, un- very unclear. These people were dosed with mega energy and became evil or so that was the party line. Right, they and, and uh, Queen Serenity, uh, you know, and the the ruling people of of Crystal Earth were very concerned about that, and so they said, "You can't come back to Earth. You need to stay on Nemesis, the Black Moon." And they were naturally very pissed about that. Yeah, you would be too. Like <laughs> they hadn't 
done anything evil to our knowledge. They were just infused with this antithetical type of energy to to the type that the moon people used. That's a good sort of approach to like, wow, this this segregation created this problem. And at the end, you realize that these people, although their methods weren't great, you know, genocide, um, that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah, like alternate reading where like Neo-Queen Serenity is actually like a totalitarian dictator with uh, who like wants to find like the final solution to the negaverse problem. Well, and like they are absolute like it appears that they are absolute monarchs. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I guess like after she freezes the world for a thousand years, she's just like, all right, bitches, I'm in charge now. Like, fuck democracy. My pink-haired bitchy daughter. She will be in charge when I die. Yeah. And I mean, some of that is like a, like a literal divine, right? Like she's magic. Yeah. Ergo, of course, the magic person would be in charge of us. Um, (laughs) It it worked well with Queen Serenity before until everything got destroyed, which was not her (laughs) fault. Granted. Anyway. We don't know that. Why did the Negaburst want to come in? Maybe regular Queen Serenity was also a totalitarian monarch who's discriminating against people from the Negaverse. I'm pretty sure that the evil for evil's sake aspect of the show kind of negates that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I just always like to quote, like, whenever any, like, fantasy story is just like, and the evil things are just evil for evil's sake. They're inherently evil. And I'm like, that's racist. (laughs) What's actually going on here? Like, what's being hidden from us? (laughs) Yeah, well, I've always assumed that the show was not uh, nuanced enough to use an unreliable narrator. No, it's not. It's just fun to do that. It's just fun to pick it apart that way. So, and eventually, like, the Negamoon family ends up being tragic because they're being used. So it's like they get a fucking double whammy. Not only were they segregated and forced to live on a place with no flowers. <laughs> I mean, that's a point. That's a point that is made in a diamond flashback. They get taken advantage of by the literal literal embodiment of death in the universe. Who has just yeah. decided that it's time for things to die. Yep, just like everything. We're going to get rid of everything now. And that's what we're talking about. They like beat... It turns out we spent a whole season thinking it's this Dark Moon family who are all named after French versions of gemstones. And then it's like, oh, by the way, like we've been manipulated and used by the literal embodiment of death, the most powerful thing in the entire universe. So we just throw away the Dark Moon family, uh, the the Moon family, and deal with this embodiment of death anyway. And they just beat him handily. (laughs) (laughs) And then just proceed with the show. Like, there are more scary villains to deal with than, like, the literal embodiment of death, who you specifically said was the most powerful force in the universe. Yeah, it's like that episode where they beat him, and then the next episode, Serena fights an enemy that her shit doesn't work on. Yeah, it's like the second season three begins. It's like, oh my god, her powers are, like, failing against, like, the new enemies because they're too powerful. It's like, how? How are they more powerful? (laughs) Well, to be fair, this is a classic. This is a problem typically seen in shonen anime or manga where they have to... Basically, the longer the show goes on, there's always an issue of power level. And and Uh this... The issue is that in order to keep the stakes high and thus the tension present that is necessary for a, a, a compelling story power has to keep increasing and there always has to be a way to do that. So eventually you're fighting for such high stakes that it's absurd. I mean, and fuck, okay, fucking Dragon Ball Z Super is a perfect example of this because they get to a point where Goku throws punches with a god and two punches are at risk of splitting the universe apart. Oh my god. Just like two punches. Straight up. That's it. So, um... I feel like Gurren Lagann's also, like, a good example of this. Well, but Gurren Lagann uses that to subvert the trope. 
Okay, fair enough. They're, yeah, because the they're stakes whole... get super high super fast in Gurren Lagann. Like, if you haven't seen Gurren Lagann, like, you should go watch it because I'm about to spoil it. But, <laughs> I mean, at the beginning, they're fighting in tiny little robots, and then at the end, they're throwing galaxies at each other. And there's no way to read that any way other than an intentional satire. All right. I mean, like, I actually haven't, like, sat down and watched Gurren Lagann from the beginning to the end. So I just know, like, I know that, like, the stakes get really, really high in it. And so I, like, I will take your word that it's an intentional satire. Well, and, okay, so maybe, okay, I don't want to say they set out to do it as a satire, but it's clearly an exaggeration. And I feel like you can't help but see that as sort of the point. It's like, wow, this issue is really kind of absurd. So anyway... Like Sailor Fair Moon enough. runs. It. Sailor Moon I'm runs. so sorry, but there is a very noisy truck outside of my window. I have to close the windows. It's so noisy. Sailor Moon encounters this issue. So, but yeah, we like the Mega Moon family would have been a better set of antagonists than they were, but they threw it aside for this very easy. I am death. I am literally death. Yeah, like, I don't understand, like, why they changed it so late in the arc. Like, the arc's almost over, and then they just switch, and they're like, hey, never mind. Like, it's a different villain. Like, we've been dealing with this one villain this whole time, but now it turns out that's not actually the villain. Like, why? And I'm assuming the arc goes the same way in the manga, so, like, why did she do that? She just, like, run out of places to go, or? Part of it is that... Creating villains that are too sympathetic in manga. I was reading, um, so I've been watching a lot of JoJo, Mm -hmm. and I've been reading a lot of interviews um, about JoJo, and the artist stated that it's, you don't want to make a villain too sympathetic, because that undercuts their ability to be a villain in a shonen manga. So I think a part of that is industry standard. Hmm. Like, they're writing for young people who are not as nuanced. And so basically it's an audience issue. Like, they're writing to a specific audience. They're not writing for us. They're writing Uh for, like, 14-year-old girls. Sure. I guess, like, I don't know. I feel like maybe that's, um, I think that's changing, at least in Western media. Because, like, if you look at, like, Adventure Time or Steven Universe, many of the villains are extremely sympathetic. Like, in in Steven Universe, all the villains are sympathetic. They all, like, eventually, like, have this big moment. So I feel like, I don't know if it's just a change in the way that we, like, we want everyone to be nice, even bad people. uh, Or if it's actually, like trusting children more to be able to be challenged? I don't know. Um, I would say that I, I think a part of that comes out from a desire to just have good, deep characters. And villainous people don't... Like, evil for evil's sake, people are few and far between. Yeah. Like, in the world. And it's like, if every villain ended up being this, people are like, well, that's not... Like, that's not compelling. That doesn't like people are looking for something compelling, and sure. simple things are rarely compelling. Compelling, like exactly. They, can be. they no simple character designs can be super compelling. Like, but in contrast to how common those things were in previous years of animation, I think now people are sort of still looking for the novelty of a character whose motivations, if you don't agree with them, they still make sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you. I Whereas, agree with you on like, that. And and I I don't know. Like I think that manga and anime even even back then have kind of touched on backstories that explain a villain's motivations, but they don't go far enough to sympathize you to the villain. I think that's sort of the difference is that Even when a villain is made compelling, a lot of times 
that villain is still not somebody you are sympathetic towards. Like, there's a difference. Like, there are villains who you're like, wow, I really sympathize with them, and I kind of don't want them to lose. Versus a villain where you're like, wow, okay, I get why they're doing what they're doing. Like, they had a shitty experience that fucked them up. Okay, I get that. Still doesn't excuse this very evil activity that they're now engaging in. For sure. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're, where you're going with this. I just always, like, I think that we've done such a good job of, like, creating more compelling villains in the last, let's say, 20 years of television that now when I come across villains that are just like, oh, they're just evil because they're evil, I'm like, oh, come on, (laughs) you know? Yeah, there's a lot of unexplored space that we kind of now expect to be explored. And, and yeah, which is like great. I'm glad. And I'm talking like specifically in animation too, not just in general. Um, I think like animation has really like blossomed and evolved in terms of the kind of storytelling it's allowed to engage in. A lot of it feels like in, in it previously kind of like in Sailor Moon, the enemies exist as a support to the main character. Like they're a tool to use to tell a story about the main character. Uh-huh. Whereas it's more like now the villain is their own character. Like their own yes, exactly. person with their own backstory. Whereas before, really the villain was a lot of times the antagonist really just existed as an obstacle. So almost yeah, like it's an like- object or a device. Yeah, like Queen Beryl, she's just like an evil mega moon person, and we don't really know anything about her. We just know she's in charge of like evil people, and so she has to go. Like Ice King is a complicated person with a rich backstory whom you come to love to the extent that even when he's doing bad things, you're you're just kind of like, Oh, but like, uh, can't we just help him be better? You know, like Ice King and like Queen Barrel couldn't be farther from each other in terms of like the type of villain that they are. Ooh, here's my new standard. If your villain's role could be played by a talking ball of black energy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the sexy lamp standard, but for villains. Yeah, so if they could be played by a black ball of energy and nothing would change, not a great villain. Not a compelling villain. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we're going to start applying that to all the shows we do. We're going to do the black energy ball standard for villains. Like Queen Barrel, black ball. Oh, absolutely. Um, the the Doom Tree twins, not black no. balls. Nephrite, not a black ball of energy. Um, Jedi could be replaced by a black ball of energy. Uh, wise Man, definitely... Is a black ball. Oh, of absolutely, energy. black ball of energy. Uh, Sapphire, not a black ball of energy. No, emerald. Eh, she kind of straddles the line. Yeah, she's got. Like, to do... Oh, I love, I love this person, but it's done in such like a rough way that a part of me thinks she could be replaced by a black ball of energy. You know what's funny about Emerald specifically is I noticed with her, like, the, even the way that she was laughing, even in the dub, I was like, oh, it's the Heim laugh. And I started, like, researching the Heim laugh as a trope. And all of the, like, TV tropes pages talking about, like, that trope and all of the tropes adjacent to it used a picture of Emerald on the page. <laughs> 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 it's very good. I like. I I've always laughed at that laugh. Mm-hmm. I I can't wait to start doing this. Like, uh oh, uh oh. Hmm. Oh my god, the lich, black ball. What about the lich? Black ball of energy. I don't think the lich could be replaced by a black ball of energy. Like, he's too, um... Spicy take. Yeah, I think the Lich is... This is not an Adventure Time episode, but I don't... What, like, when we cover Adventure Time, I, we can have a whole debate on this, but I'm not sure that the Lich could be replaced by a black ball of energy. Yeah, well, I... And, uh, like, if, nothing, if for no other reason than the flimsy, admittedly, reason that his character design is so good and so scary. 
Okay. I don't know, man. A black ball of energy is pretty scary. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I'm excited to apply this standard now. Uh, so we've got um, overall, like it's it. The last thing I, I I guess I would really point out that I have at least is that. My subjective of experience of Sailor Moon really seems to omit all of these problems. Like you, like what you remember from when you were a child? Yeah. Like, it's like my, like, I just got the gist of it. And all the details either were forgotten or sunk into my subconscious memory. And they either have been influencing me or just haven't. And I can't, I can't really tell. Well, like I didn't watch Sailor Moon when I was a child, but I will say as a general rule, like a lot of stuff like that, like, like we've watched shows that I watched as a kid and loved and we've gone and watched them and have been like, oh shit, like this is not a good show. Like it has bad stuff in it or it's just like not very good <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so I think that like we remember so little from when we're young that I think that often we just remember, oh, yeah, I liked that and it was cool. We don't actually remember any of the details about it. Which is sort of a general aspect of our memory for, but like a childhood especially because we're paying less attention to a lot of detail. Um, and, and in that sense, like I still enjoy Sailor Moon. I like, a part of me thinks I kind of like the idea of Sailor Moon a lot. And the role that it sort of played in my experience coming into anime as a kid. Like, thematically, there are some issues. But aside from that, like, it follows a pretty boilerplate, like, get a group, fight evil, power up, find a boyfriend. <laughs> like, it, it checks all the boxes, and well, a lot of the reasons, like, it's some, it's important to remember, because you also said this last time that it was boilerplate in a lot of ways. It's boilerplate because it created those tropes. Like, it's, it's boilerplate standard magical girl template because it's the template, you know? Like, it's... It's almost impossible to overstate how influential this show was. Well, and, and I guess when I was a kid, it wouldn't have seemed boilerplate. All of this would have been brand spanking new. Yeah, absolutely. If, um, it, like, by the time you were watching it, it was no longer, like, new to the world, but it was new to you. It was the fast, first time you'd seen it. Well, I think Sailor Moon had a pretty quick turnaround as far as anime. I think it was, like, two years after it aired in Japan. It aired in the oh, United I States. I feel like it aired in Japan in like '92, and it didn't come. Okay, the first season didn't come to America until '95. Okay, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yeah. I'm I don't dates. have the Wikipedia. I, I I read about this on the Wikipedia, and now I don't have it open in front of me. So let's just say that I'm right. <laughs> I I'm I'm willing to concede, given how bad I am with dates. Yeah, but I will say that um, if nothing else, like, it has some, like, fucked up messages for girls in it. And, yeah, like, they're they're quite sexualized. They're sexualized. The villains are sexualized. Everybody's sexualized. But it's fun. It's really fun. And I still can't help but, um, you know, f focus a lot on how it still influenced, like, queerness. In a way. Like, I don't know. I've just known a lot of people who are like, yeah, Sailor Moon has made me feel things. Anime made us all gay. <laughs> and it's just like seeing lesbians on screen. Well, okay, they were cousins. But you, I don't know. Well, didn't you say the tuxedo mask made you gay? <laughs> yeah, the fucking castanets and the, the top hat and the cape. You're like, wow, this guy's hot. <laughs> I was just like, wow, I really love, why is he not on screen anymore? Like, he shows up to throw a rose and that's way. I need more. I need more of this, like, hot guy in a suit. Well, I'm I into a, it. I think a lot of it was like, wow, I'm really into the girl stuff. Oh, yeah? 
it wasn't even a recognition that I was into guys. It was more like, wow, all this like, yeah, like fucking you go get them girls at a time when a lot of boys are like, ew, girl stuff. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I can see. I can see it. You were like, man, like these girls are like super cool. Like, and all the other boys are into like Power Rangers or whatever. <laughs> well, and I also like Power Rangers. But oh, I wasn't allowed to Power Rangers. I um, <laughs> I think it was partially the fact that it exposed me to any form of like girls who are active but also feminine. Feminine, yeah. And as much as they're like sexualized and like that's like kind of problematic, like it is cool that like. Like, when they transform, it's been pointed out many times that when they transform, they become more powerful versions of themselves, but also more feminine versions of themselves. Like, drastically more feminine in some cases. Yes. Yeah. And and I, I, I think that, again, this would have been a gist thing. But just seeing stuff like that later opened me up to seeing more stuff like it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I would say... Like, as someone who didn't watch Sailor Moon as a child, I am glad that I've watched it now, and I found it really enjoyable. Um, definitely skip the filler, though. <laughs> yeah, I do recommend a filler guide, and if you're planning on watching the deep dub just to experience it for yourself, there you need to find a filler guide that specifically accounts for the deep dub because they cut out. Episodes. A lot of episodes, yeah. Most of them were Definitely. filler, but it but it knocks the episode numbers out of order for most for most filler guides. So be very careful. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, go back, watch an episode or two. You can pretty much pick up sort of wherever you want and very quickly get an idea of what's happening. Unless you've never seen the show, then you might not know what's happening. But you know. It's a piece of our our shared history. Go for it. Yeah, enjoy, everybody. Enjoy. Um, That's really all I have to say. Sailor Moon, you have... We have punished you in the name of the moon. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so with that, I guess I just have to say, um, please... Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so other people can find the show. Please follow us on social media. We're at Animates on Twitter. We're Animates Podcast on Facebook. And we can be emailed uh, with animates at gmail.com with a numeral 8 instead of A-T in it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. And this has been Animates.